0: We've looked at the different churches. I think they've they got the slide up there with the seven churches. We've looked at Ephesus. Oh, we're on the wrong one. We're actually on Pergamos, okay, or Pergamum, not Thyatira today, okay? So, um, so we've looked at Ephesus, and we've looked at Smyrna, and now we're going to be in, in Pergamum. And we'll save that slide for next, week, next time because we'll be in Thyatira. So that'll be interesting. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2 and beginning in verse 12. Chapter 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you do, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you. you have some th- you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice, and to idols and practice sexual immorality, so also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Uh, Nicolaitans, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Powerful message here this morning. It's a message of, of encouragement and yet message of difficult words whereby Jesus is dealing with his people. He's encouraging those that have been faithful to remain faithful, but at the same time, he is also confronting some issues that are happening within the church. I believe this is a message to that church specifically at the time, but I also believe the message there is also for us today that the Spirit of God today is coming and he's having a word with us. He's teaching us the things of his text that we might understand and incorporate into our lives truth and the things that we need to understand to endure in the world that we live in. This church, Pergamum, was a church that allowed over time to begin to allow kind of worldliness and idolatry and sexual immorality to seep into the church. It became to a place where it was not necessarily a problem. And Jesus took note. And he dealt with this. So when we look at this church, it tells us in Pergamon a few things about the city. It was the capital city of Asia Minor, it was north of Smyrna, it was about 20 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea. It was a wealthy city of culture and education. It had a great library with over 200,000 volumes at the time. Um, it was a religious city. There were many temples do- donated to or devoted to Greek and Roman gods. Like Smyrna, who won that contest we looked at last time when we were in the uh, church at Smyrna. The Smyrna went through a contest and they won the, the rights to build the first temple to Caesar Tiberius. Well, 50 years before Smyrna did that, Pergamum went through a contest and they earned the right to build the first temple that was devoted to Caesar Augustus. It was a, it was a city that was devoted to, to religion, to idolatry. It was a very difficult place to be if you were a believer in Jesus Christ. If you sometimes are kind of complaining, you're like, man, sometimes it's really hard to follow Jesus. Oh, man, this place would have been much more difficult. And it gives a word there, right there in verse 12, and it describes Jesus, it says, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. It's interesting, that I, that word, two-edged sword, we look in chapter one and verse uh, 16, and it's describing Christ, and it's describing two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Uh, in chapter 19, verse 15, at the, at the times when he's coming and there's judgment happening, it says, from his mouth, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. The reality is here, folks, is the reality is that the things that will be measured will be measured by the word of of Christ. That his truth, that what he speaks is true. And when we're dealing with it in the context of of this church and this passage, we're talking about judgment. In verse 16 of this chapter of talking to this church, he, he warns them to repent, and if not, you know what he says? He says, I'm coming to war with them. The them there is the false teachers at the time. You know, so many times we like Jesus, you know, like we put him this little, like really, you know, nice guy, and loving and loves everybody. But Jesus takes seriously the truth of his word. And he does not play around. And that's a place I would never want to be. So the church is about to be confronted and it is the truth of God's words of Christ that is to be the measure by which things are to, to be determined as true. And when you come into this context, it's, a, it's an environment of false teaching and it says Jesus is bringing this word to, to, to design, to destroy idolatry and sexual immorality and to get the church back in the right direction. It's an important message for us today. It's an important message. The word of God is a living and active, It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what it tells us in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The word is able to, to cut quick, and to discern our hearts and our intents. That's why I pray, man. I've, I pray this morning. I, I pray as I was standing back there in the back of the worship center before, during the, word, during the songs, that just that, just that the God's spirit would speak to us today. That we would be a people that are ready to hear. Because the message to Pergamum is an important message Because compromise and worldliness have begun to seep into the church. And we, dear people of God, at Mansfield Bible Church, we need to be aware of, we need to understand when worldliness is seeping into our church. When we as individuals begin to compromise. May we hear the word this morning and the word that he has for us. In verse 13, Christ goes on and he he speaks to those who are faithful and he gives a word of praise here. In verse 13, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Man, you know, I've been to some places on earth and and different places where I felt like, man, this is a pretty evil place. But I don't know I've ever been anywhere where it would be called Satan's throne. It was hard to live in this place. The persecution that was there was real and it was to be feared for those who would be faithful. And yet, Jesus says, I know. I love this, this phrase again and again. I know. I know what is going on in your lives. I know what's going on in the church. I know what's going on in your homes. Did you, did you get a bad health report this week? Jesus knows. He knows. Maybe you're a student and you're just struggling with your studies. Maybe there's a teacher you're having a difficult time with or just experiencing the pressure of fitting in is so unbearable, yet Jesus knows. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. It's what are you facing? Jesus says, I know, and I'm with you. In verse verse 13, now listen to this as he reads this. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Did you see it? Did you see it? I mean, it's right there in the text. Did you see it? Read it again. Yet you hold fast, what? My name. And you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful servant. I underline those words, my, all three times. Because everything that is in the church belongs to Christ. Everything. There is is one who holds us and keeps us. And when we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, we understand and we rest in that truth. It's, it's, It's my name by which I live is Christ. I have no one else. There is no one else I depend on. I have found myself to be insufficient. It is Christ that we rest in. It's Christ that we depend on. It's his name that we stand in. And did you see where he says my faith? It's referring to this body of truth. Jesus is gonna be dealing with in this church where people have begun to compromise truth. And he says it's my faith. You see, when we handle the Word of God, it's not my thought. It's not my ideas. It's not my ways. It's God's truth. And Jesus takes it seriously. And He depends on us to walk in faith and believing in Him. And maybe not depends, isn't the right word. He counts on us, He holds us accountable to walk after him. We are his witnesses and we can do nothing without him. We belong to him. Look, look, we are his. I love when we, when we rejoice and we acknowledge him, but let us not acknowledge man, right? Right? Let us not, let's not just lift up individuals. Let us lift up Christ. And he, when he says here about Antipas, he says, my faithful witness. I love that. You see, when you walk and, and school's gotten so unbearable and you're trying to fit into this world where, where you're at work and you feel like somehow I've got, to, I've got to succeed. I've got to be better than the next guy. And you begin to set aside your principles of truth in order to somehow to get ahead, you think. Because you're not depending on God to get you ahead. You're depending on your ability to get you ahead. And when we enter into those things and we begin to start living that way, we start forgetting who we belong to and who is Christ. It is him. Everything belongs to him. We can do nothing without him. I don't stand here today to preach because I have the ability to preach. I stand here today and preach because this is where God has placed me. Where has God placed you? Where are you within the body of Christ? You see, it's, it's my name, my faith, my faithful witness. You belong to God. There is only one true path of faithfulness and perseverance, and it's Christ. You will not persevere if you try in your own way. You will not persevere if you try to think, well, somehow I'll out-discipline this. I do that all the time. You know, there's, the other day I was, not too last week, in fact, Buckles was, was praying over, over me that day because I was having one of those days where my mind was running. You know, we start doing that, right? We start thinking about the, the negative. We start thinking about a oh, what-ifs or we start thinking about all those other things and we forget who God is. We forget who Christ is and we start spiraling down and we become discouraged and we become depressed. We become all those things and our feelings are real. They're real. Hey, I always, I always find it amazing that Jesus cried right before he called Lazarus out of the tomb. He knew he was gonna call him out of the tomb, but his feelings were still real, right? So we start going down, we start going down those things and we have to be reminded, wait a second, we belong to him. I know all that to be true. But we belong to him, we rest in him, we set in him. And Buckles walked in my office and realized I was not having one of my better days and he just put his hand on my shoulder and prayed over me to encourage us. Let us not grow weary. Let us rest in the truth of who Christ is. We belong to him. Many in Pergamum knew this and they were being faithful despite the conflict in which they had lived day in and day out. Hey, dear people of God, the more and more you distinguish yourself and your faith and who Christ is and your walk with him and you understand that you're in Christ, the more and more conflict you're gonna have in this world. Are you ready for it? Are you? Are you ready? Because if you're not, you're gonna start compromising. You're gonna start setting things aside that you know to be true in order to be able to accomplish where to fit into this world, and worldliness has no place in godliness. We are a people after him, and they were holding on, even some to death. We read here about Antipas, who was killed among them as a faithful witness. You know what's interesting? Now think about this, dear people. We do not know anything else about Antipas other than what is said right here in this verse. We don't know anything else. But listen to this Antipas might not be known throughout history, but listen to this he is not unknown to Jesus. Why is that so powerful? We have been learning in this series, or if you haven't been, I've been learning throughout this series, that Jesus knows his people and he, and he knows our circumstances. He knows. So many times we start thinking we are just not known. We think we're not important. We think, man, I'm just lonely. We feel like we're on our own. So many times we think no one sees us or cares about us. But Jesus does. He sees us and he knows our circumstances. Antipas, as he became to his, his faithful end, he was still faithful to the end. And Jesus knew every difficulty he experienced. He knew every pain he felt. He knew every hurt that he experienced. To the end, he was with him. Loving him and being there with him to the end, Antipas, my faithful witness. It's no different for us. Jesus is still with us. Dear people of God, what are you feeling today? What are you going through? Do you believe that? Jesus knows. You know, we're real good walking through the doors with our hurts and our pains and our difficulties. And many times we just kind of hold them within, won't we? And we feel like people don't care, even in the church where we should. And we go through those pains, but I want you to know something, dear people. Dear people of God, know this. Jesus cares. And he knows. And he's with you. Be faithful. Be faithful. Just like these that were here as he gave praise to the ones who were faithful in Pergamon and who were living in a place where Satan dwells. Can you imagine? He's saying, be faithful. I know where you live. I know your circumstances and I'm with you. I know I am with you. Isn't that praise? Isn't that so thankful to Man, it just causes me to be even more inspired and determined to be faithful, trusting in Christ to the end. In verses 14 and 15, the words get difficult. It's a time of confrontation to those who have begun to compromise if you came here this morning and you've been having compromise in, in your life, I pray that the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning, and I pray that you don't ignore those little things, you know, the little things parts of our hearts that we know that are there. And we always kind of like to shut them out and close the door on them. And the Spirit keeps trying to pull them open and reveal them, because He wants us to be more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. But we're afraid. We don't want to let go of those things. We want to hang on to them. And so we keep trying to keep the door closed. Don't ignore the spirit today. Don't ignore him. Listen to what he has to say as he begins to talk to these and confront these people that are in this church. He says, verse 14, but it's a contrast to those who were faithful, but I have a few things against you. Those are words you never want to hear your Lord say. Those are words you never want to hear Jesus say to you. He says, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. If you were to go back into Numbers chapter 22, it goes into chapter 25 you read the story of Balaam, who was a prophet, a legitimate prophet of God, but had an illegitimate heart towards God. Balaam is approached by the king of Moab. Uh, Balak was his name. And Balak looks out over and he sees all of Israel. And he's like, wow, this is a huge, this is big. People, they're gonna overtake us. So he goes to Balaam. He has, sends people. The kings don't go anywhere. They send people to bring them. But, and that wants Balaam to come. And Balaam tells him to wait, and he goes and asks the Lord. Lord tells him not to go, and he sends him back. And then the king again sends him. Balaam again goes to ask the Lord. And this time he goes. This is when you start seeing the donkey, you know, sees the angel of the Lord in the pathway. And finally the donkey says, hey, look, haven't I obeyed you basically all my life? (laughs) And then God opens the eyes of Balaam, and he sees the angel of the Lord. It seems like Balaam's trying to do the right thing at times because he says, hey, I can't speak the words except the words that God gives me. And so as he goes, God continues to bless. He blesses Israel, not curses Israel. And the king is getting upset about this. So finally, Balaam, what he does in his unrighteousness, and his teaching, he goes to the king and he says, here, here's, some, here's what you need to do. You need to send your women to go in and to seduce the Israelite men, that God may bring a curse upon them or judgment upon them. And it tells us in Numbers 31, chapter, uh, verse 16, it says, behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord 24,000 died as a result of their disobedience. And, and Balaam, because of his teaching, taught the king how to come in and bring an alliance that led God's people astray. It's, an, it's, a, it's a picture. So we begin to start seeing what's going on in Pergamum. And let's let's understand this, people. We cannot mesh the ways of the world with the ways of God. We cannot. We cannot begin to accommodate the things of the world and somehow call them the things of God. And we're doing that in our culture today. We are. We begin to think lightly of sin as if it's really no big deal. We begin to take and redefine scripture so that it fits our ways and our thoughts and our precepts. And we don't take seriously the precepts of, of God. And in the case at Pergamon, it resulted in idolatry and sexual immorality. And the spirit of Rome had begun creeping into the church at Pergamon. And you know what? Jesus was taking knowledge, notice of that. He was realizing, and Balaam's teaching was the same way, and that here it was happening to, this, to Israel, it's happening to this church. And the question I really had as I thought about this, and I thought about, wow, how, how they began to compromise and allow the, the spirit and the ways of Rome to begin to intermix into what they were doing as a church. And the next question I asked myself was, as the spirit of our culture began to creep into the church? Remember, the church is the individuals, it's us. As the spirit of our culture began to creep into your life, taking the place of where God is. In fact, he goes on, he he describes here, he says, in verse 15, so also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I know I think uh, last week or whatever, last time I was calling the Nicolonians, and, and someone said something to me and I was like, wow, did I say that? And I, they were like, yeah. I was like, I guess I didn't realize that. Um, but, you know, I was trying to make it more modern, right? You know, I don't know. But unfortunately it has to do with kids and there's nothing about this group that has anything to do with, with the kids who are good. This was a group that um, liked their sexual immorality and they wanted to practice it. Commentators suspect they were a group of false teachers who, who taught a form of grace where, where the law didn't matter. You live as you will and sin isn't important. You know, I mean, after all, we can't even keep the law, right? So what difference does it make? We're saved by grace. I can live as I please and begin to justify everything they did. I mean, you know, God's a loving God right? I mean, he's not a just God, right? I mean, he's loving God. Love always trumps justice. No, because he's a righteous, holy God, and he's not going to change his righteousness in order to accommodate our unrighteousness. In fact, we saw this when we talked about the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wait a second, I didn't think God hated anything. He hates sin. You know what else he hates? He hates false teachers. He hates people who take his word and twist it to accommodate their way of life. And we need to be careful, dear church, dear people of God, that we take notice lest we allow the spirit of our culture to creep into our lives. You see, our adversary Satan still uses the same tactic, doesn't he? It's the same tactic that he used with Balaam when he taught the king, the Nicolaitans. I almost said it, didn't I? (laughs) The Nicolaitans. It's the same one that they use today. It's the same one that he used in the garden You know, it's alliance. Hey, look, come on over here. Everything's good. Come on, Eve, you know. I mean, God didn't really say you couldn't eat of all the fruit of the tree, the the garden, did he? I mean, he didn't say you you couldn't eat all this. Oh, no, that's the one in the tree. Oh, wait, 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 wait. But that's so good, that tree. The fruit is so good. Why would God keep good from you? We do the same thing today. And we're deceiving ourselves if we don't stay true to God's word. I mean, we look at the world around us and we like, man, but that looks so good. Why would God want to keep it from me? And the reality is it isn't what we determine is good, it's what God determines is good. It's when God designed us he designed us to live in righteousness and godliness. He didn't design us, design us to live in unrighteousness and rebellion. That we would walk after him in righteousness and godliness. And we began to start going down. And, you know, over the years, I remember I had a prof that used to say, give any church 100 years and it'll go apostate. And when I was like, I remember as a student, I was like, what? I mean, and he started saying, his, it happens. What happens is it starts out really strong. You have a guy like Greg Buckles who comes along and starts teaching the word. And then another guy comes along like Greg Lingle, you know, and starts leading them a different way, right? No, no, that's not what's happening. We're going to be true as long as we, God gives us the elders that he's given us in the church. What happens is it comes along and then, you know, some ideas start seeping into the church and they start creating a, a group and, and they start proposing things that aren't true to the, words, the word of God. And they go, is that really what God's word says? Is that really sin? And you start, you start following after that. And after a period of time, you're not teaching the word of God. You're teaching the culture. You're teaching humanism in the, in the name of God instead of the truth of God's word. And what's happened is those churches become apostate. And they become dead because there's not the power of God in the gospel that gives it life. You see, there's the power of God that is a work in the truth of the gospel, the atonement, what God has done for us. There's the power of God and the work of God. It's not in the things that we declare and the things that we do. It's in the power of the gospel. And we have to be a people that teaches the word. We have to be a people about the gospel. And as much as that is so true, let us not walk in unrighteousness. And the question I would ask you this morning is are you being led astray? Where are you being tempted right now in your life? Where is it? It may not be out there to go rob and steal and the, and the blatant, but what are the things that are coming on in your life that are creeping into your life that Satan is trying to use in your life to gain an allegiance that moves you away from or down from God's truth? What is it? See, the people of God need discernment to turn complacency of, with the world into a devotion to God's word and who God is in their life. Where are you? He tells us right here, and, and I'll wrap this up pretty quick. We, I know we got, he says in verse 16, therefore repent. It's a 180 turn. Stop doing and start doing this. It's a picture of what we are to be doing in light of if we've allowed uh, uh, heresy and compromise to become decree into our lives. We need to stop and turn. And he says, If not, I will come and war against them, the them as the false teachers, with the sword of my mouth. Ask me what that, what that means. I don't know, but it's not good. I mean, what does that look like that Jesus come with the sword of his mouth? The, the, the truth of his word. Have you ever gone down and you carried on a lie in your life? Please don't let me be the only one. You know, you carry on a lie, and you carry on a lie, and you finally meet someone and they confront you? You know, I don't know. Is that what it is? I don't know. What I know is that Jesus takes it serious when there's false teaching. And Jesus is serious about sound biblical teaching. And a healthy Bible teaching church will guard against false teaching. And we must be that. And he gives a word to those as well in verse 17. To those who overcome, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Every one of you have an ear, but do you have a spiritual ear this morning? To hear what the spirit is saying to you. He says, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden man to the one who conquers, to the one who remains in Christ. My life is Christ. Is your life Christ? To the one who refuses to be deterred in their faith, to the one who withstands the assault of the enemy, when we understand who we are in Christ, then we can stand and resist in this world. If you don't know who you are in Jesus Christ, every good idea is gonna sound good even though it's false. Do you know who you are in Christ? Now notice here, look, what it also says in verse 17. It says, to the one. He's been talking to the church, but here he he says, to the one. In other words, this is a personal, individual decision. No one else can make it for you. I can't make it for you. I can't make it for my wife. I can't make it for my children. I can't make it for any of you. It's you, you, to the one who conquers. No one can make that decision. You must make it. And when we as individuals are resolved by God's grace and strength and we pursue him and his riches rather than the world that will be eaten up by moth and rust, we will overcome. We will conquer. I can pray with you, I can encourage you, but it is your decision. Where are you at? Have you been following after this world for a while? See, you don't feed what the world provides. You don't feed on that. You feed on what Jesus and his word provides. And he says, I will give some of the hidden manna. I love this, spiritual nourishment, it's the reference. When you need it most, Christ is your life. Christ is your life. And then he says here, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. The white stone was often in the competitions of their day when the victor won, they would give him a white stone and that was kind of an invitation to the celebration of victory. And I love this picture. There will be a celebration. In that day when he comes in all of his glory, imagine there will be a celebration. That he's invited us to be with them. We must remain faithful. And then he puts on there, says a new name that no one else knows. The one that he who had bought us. When I was a little kid, my Aunt Fern, I love my Aunt Fern. She helped raise me in some ways. But my Aunt Fern had a special name for me. And she called me all the time. She's the only one that ever called me that name. I would share it with you, but it's my name with her. She gave it. And it's the same picture Jesus has a name for you as well. And only you and him will know it. Why? Because you belong to him. My name, my faith, my faithful witness. Dear people of God, where are you today? As compromise began to happen in your life, please snuff it out before it gets root, before it gets so big that you feel like you can never overcome. Right now, in your hearts, where you're at today, right now. Let you and in in the Spirit of God speak to look in those ugly places of your life where compromise may have been getting a hold and clean house, clean house. We'll have people up here that you can pray with. I'll be in the back. If there's something you need someone to pray with, I mean, I encourage you to come up and pray. But do not ignore what the God is teaching and and sharing with you today in your hearts. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I just pray that your spirit would move among us, Lord. I must confess, Father, at times uh, going through this series has been challenging. Not because of the difficulty of the passages, but Father, because of the truth of your word. That, Father, you speak truth. Your son was was direct, and he encourages us to be faithful. In Ephesus, we didn't lose our passion. We need Christ to be first priority. Smyrna, we saw them faithful, and he tells them to continue to be faithful in the midst of severe persecution. And here, Father, this morning in this church in Pergamum, We learn this morning and understand that, that Father, compromise begins to destroy and erode the truth of your word in our lives and thus in our church. And so God, I pray this morning that you just speak to us, your people, your spirit just move among us. And Lord, those things that you are touching this morning, may our hearts not be hard toward, but may our hearts be soft. Knowing and understanding and believing of what you have for us is is the blessing and the goodness and the peace and the joy that we so long for in life. May our hearts turn to you in Christ's name. Amen.